Well, welcome everybody to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in Alaska. I'm actually in Anchorage this week with the family. And uh, boy, do we have a treat for you today. We hope to break the internet. I have a special guest today. Uh, but before we go into that, I want to thank everybody for watching, listening, and reading Must Read Alaska. Uh, and if you have a smartphone, Android, or an Apple phone, you can get our Must Read Alaska app at the App Store. You just type in, go to your App Store, whether you have an iPhone or an Android, type in Must Read Alaska, and our app pops right up. It's free. We put a lot of time, money, and resources into that app, so um, get it. And uh, if you do like it, leave us a review. If you like this show, also leave us a review on Spotify or iTunes or Amazon or iHeartRadio. You can leave a review pretty much anywhere you listen to us, which is very exciting. But today, I want to introduce our special guest today, and that is Senator Jesse Keel from Juneau. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska show, Senator. Good morning, John. Thanks for having me on. Good morning, everybody. Well, super excited, super excited you're with us. So for folks that maybe, you know, I think we kind of all live in our own little bubbles. I live out in the woods in Nikiski on a dirt road. So for folks that maybe don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about who you are, what your district is, and uh, Maybe, you know, what brought you to Alaska in the first place? Maybe you grew up here. Tell us a little bit about that story. Sure, yeah. Um, I'm not going to get into too much of the details of the story of uh, how I got to Alaska because my mother considers birth stories pretty private. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was uh, I was born and raised in Anchorage um, and, uh, and uh, grew up on a dirt road up on the sort of middle section of the Anchorage hillside, not quite so high up that you worry about an earthquake shaking you down to the inlet, but... Uh, but uh, good, good uh, neighborhood to to grow up in. As long as you uh, you didn't need to get anywhere uh, because you had to have a car to get to to anything at all. Um, but uh, I I was uh, I lived in Anchorage until boy I guess until uh, I finished college. Went to school outside, um, and then in uh, during college uh, I had an opportunity. You know I'd picked fish in Bristol Bay uh, on gillnetters. I'd uh, worked tourism in Anchorage. Uh, wearing a stupid red vest and putting tourists on the bus, excuse me, motor coach. I had to call it a motor coach to the oh, airport nice. um, or the glacier or what have you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. I don't think my boss, uh, old boss works there anymore. She's not going to dock my pay for it. Um, and then um, while I was in college, uh, I had an opportunity to intern for Ted Stevens uh, back in Washington, D.C., one of our uh, two U.S. senators. Um, and he had two internship programs. One was for immediate, uh, you just graduated high school. Um, it was short four weeks. You'd see the Capitol, you'd do a little office work. <coughs> um, but the college interns, he had far fewer of us. Um, we were there all summer long. And I, to this day, I have no idea how he did it, but he managed to pay just enough that you could share a dorm room nobody else was using for the summer and eat a lot of top ramen. What it meant was you didn't have to have money flowing in from somewhere else to be able to make it and, and, and do that internship. And man, that was the summer that uh, Bob Dole resigned to run for president and welfare reform was happening. And um, it was two years after the, the 94 um, Amendments to the Gun Control Act. And there was a lot of discussion about that. We were gearing up for a Magnuson Stevens Re Fisheries Act reauthorization. The BRAC, remember uh, at the end of the Cold War, the Base Realignment and Closure Commission um, was trying to close Fort Greeley right then. Um, and one of us, one of our college interns was from Delta Junction. Um, you can imagine uh, how those conversations went with a senator. But he put an hour and a half in the schedule every week. The guy was about to be the chairman of Senate Appropriations, right? One of the most, most powerful job. people in, in D.C. 
He put an hour and a half in his schedule every single week to sit down with the interns. And literally, the one time we ran out of questions, he was ticked. Um, and so it was, it was amazing. And it set the hook on, on public policy, right? How do you figure out people of good intentions and very different philosophies and backgrounds? How do you get a stinking thing done? What do you do? There's never enough money to meet all the needs, much less the wants, right? Yeah. How do you budget? <laughs> Where do you get it from? How do you actually get the work done that the American people expect you to do? I, I was hooked. Um, so went back to college, um, realized that Washington DC and I did not get along. Um, we were not a cultural fit at all, at all, at all. Um, too much emphasis on status and, and um, uh, dress and stuff that just I don't, didn't care about. So I, um, I worked on getting an internship in Alaska. Um, at the time, the University of Alaska's legislative internship program was very inflexible. Nowadays, um, it's named after Ted Stevens and it is much more flexible. But back then you had to be a UA student or nothing. So I had to work with some good people um, to create an internship in the governor's office that next summer. Um, they built it out of um, a determination to get it done and some somewhat creative readings of the state's uh, contractor rules or personnel rules or something. Um, some very skillful people managed to pay me, again, just enough to rent a single bedroom in somebody's house, eat Top Ramen and take my bicycle down to the hatchery and catch uh, enough eh, almost fresh chump salmon, have a little protein in my diet. Um, but I, I made it work, right? I was able to make it happen um, and, and worked in the governor in Governor Knoll's office that summer as an intern, finished college, came back. I spent a year working for Tony Knowles in the office um, under Bruce Scandling, went out to the Department of Education and Early Development, staffed the state board and the governor's children's cabinet. Tony Knowles had a children's cabinet to cross the silo lines in state government um, and look at kids' issues. Um, and then, um, and then, I uh, found an opportunity to work as a legislative staffer um, for Juno's state senator, a man named Kim Elton. Uh, we made a lot of boy named Kim jokes. He's used to them. Um, and uh, and uh, worked for him for nine years until he went off to Washington, D.C. Um, to be the Department of Interior's Alaska person. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we had a little trouble um, with the appointment of his successor to fill out um, the rest of his term, um, there was a little conflict with uh, the governor at the time and local Democrats at the time over who would get appointed, how many names got forwarded. I think everybody played that exactly wrong. So I spent 48 days of one of the only 90 day sessions we had working as a staffer for a district with no legislator. Wow, I bet that was interesting. It wasn't fun, um, but um, we, we got a lot of work done. Um, we mitigated a lot of harm that was coming our way. Um, and and uh, then I got to work for Dennis Egan for the next nine years. Um, at some point during all that mess, um, I just got really, really tired of all the you know late nights and working weekends and not seeing my wife and two kids. I should probably put them in this story at some point. I got a wife and two kids. <laughs> um, and uh, and um, I just, you know, something snapped. So I ran for the city and borough of Juneau Assembly at the same time. Um, nice. So what, tell me a little bit about what did that look like? I mean, it, kind of everybody has their story of, you know, a lot of folks maybe first ran because they didn't like something that was happening in their borough or their city um, or their district. Um, was it something like that for you or was it literally you were a staffer and you're working, you know, 70 hours a week and you needed, <laughs> you needed something different in your life at the time. 
Yeah, it's it's more the latter, John. What and 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 I know that doesn't make any sense. What whatever it is, we just know the medication isn't helping. Um, <laughs> Um, Honestly, my first fundraiser ever, um, somebody looked at me and he said, so, local office, huh? Who gored your ox? (laughs) I had to tell him, actually, I'm I'm not ticked off about anything huge, Um, but but there's a lot of work that needs to do and I got some problems we need to fix. Um, So, um, uh, yeah, I I just, uh, obviously I'd been in politics and public policy, they go pretty closely together. Uh, It's hard to dissociate them completely. Um, and, and a lot of folks had come to me and said, you know, there's an opening, there's an open seat. Um, uh, the incumbent is term limited out, uh, local government has term limits in Juneau. And, um, and we think you do a good job and we want you to, to get involved. And, um, and I, would thought about it, you know, I had in the past, let's not pretend that I was uh, naive here. Um, I had in the past put my name in for possible appointment to fill vacancies, um, not the Kim Elton vacancy, but others, um, including in 2014, when I was one of the three finalists to replace Beth Gratula, um, and Governor Parnell went another way with that. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, um, I guess I was on the assembly at that point. I take that back. I, I ran for assembly in 2011, um, but, but I'd thought about it. Um, and so, so I was interested, you know, at the time, um, we didn't have a good solution for Juno's sewage sludge, right? I mean, yeah. the basic stuff that city government just has to make work, right? It, when people flush, it has to go away and work. We pay for it for that. And, and if it doesn't work, man, that's not a Republicans and Democrats thing. That's a city government doing its job thing. So we didn't have a good place to put the sludge. We were putting it on uh, on a landfill, which is private in Juneau. You had one neighborhood taking 32,000 people's worth of excrement. I mean, that ain't right. Yeah, that's not a great solution. That ain't right. So anyway, um, Problems. So is there, right. is there something that when, when you're on the uh, city and borough Juno, is there something that sticks out to you of, you know, that you were proud of, you know, this thing you for your time there, something that is like your proud moment of your time served as uh, on the assembly there? I'll give you a couple um, and I'll try and be brief, more brief about them. Actually, one of them was coming up with a, a sewage sludge um, solution um, within the bounds of reality. We, we first looked at this and we brought in consultants, private sector folks who look at utilities and they said, you are so undercharging for your water and sewer city. You should raise your rates 10% a year for the next 10 years. And we went, whoa. <laughs> um, and, and the voters went, whoa. And so um, we, <laughs> we scrubbed those numbers and we worked on what we could do and, and found other avenues and solutions and, and twisted and worked and stretched and figured, worked with a great citizen advisory board. Um, and, and local industry folks, um, including Alaskan Brewing, right? They use a lot of water mm-hmm. um, and God bless them. We're glad they do. I'm a big fan of their products um, as my waistline will attest. That's why the camera stops here, John. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, but so we we really moderated that. Um, we did have to raise rates, but not like that. <laughs> not 10% a year compounding for 10 years. Um, and, and, and we came up with a sewage solution so that we were not putting sludge on a barge or putting sludge in one neighborhood, right? Um, and then the other thing um, I did was uh, an equal rights law. So uh, Juno didn't have its own local equal rights law. Anchorage does. Um, others, other communities had. Uh, we relied on the State Human Rights Commission, um, and and there was nothing in the State Human Rights Law that at the time that protected people from discrimination in working, in housing, in credit, uh, on the basis of your sexual orientation or your gender identity. Best conversation I had in that whole thing was with the Chamber of Commerce Government Affairs Committee. 
we had worked out a solution, worked out a way to do it, that it wasn't any more paperwork for a business, right? That was important to them. It mattered to me that they said that. And so I came back to them with that. I said, here's how I propose to do it. And I had one guy said, I just don't understand why you do that. And I said, you know, listen, I got people coming in and telling me they work hard every day. They pay their bills. They, they keep to themselves and they're being told they can't have a place to live, even though they pay their bills and they never damage the unit. I mean, nobody here would do to kick somebody out on the street. You're all business people, right? I had somebody else who worked hard every day, only commendations in their file. They got fired, right? They did the job. They got paid what everybody else got paid. They weren't, you know, angling for more money and those things. And, and I'd go back and work with these people. I said, now, nobody in this room, would you run your business like that? Somebody who's good to the customers and, and had no problems? You'd commended them for all that? No. You'd hire the best people and make money. Do your work, right? And they all kind of nodded. They said, well, yeah, of course. I said, yeah, no, but none of you would do that. It ain't right. And, and we ended up passing that thing um, on an eight to one vote in the Juno Assembly. Um, so I, I was really proud of, of that work because it's just about nothing more than making sure people who, who do their work, who pay their bills, can, can get the things that you and I can get when we pay our own bills and do our own work too. So that's, that's all that ordinance was. And I'm, I'm sad we needed it. Um, it's pretty rare that we needed it, but I'm glad we did it. So you live in a uh, unique situation where you live in a capital city that's only reachable by uh, airplane or ferry. We, ferry. we have lots of folks that listen to our show all over the U.S. and also in the U.K. and uh, Australia and Austria. And so if you're listening, the senator lives in an area where, you know, most people's capital cities you can drive to. Well, Juno, you can't. So, Senator, can you explain to me if the ferry system is important. I think I know the answer to this, but uh, is the ferry system important to the folks that you represent in your district? And you know why is it so important? I think a lot of folks, including myself, um, you know, I don't have to rely on a ferry system. I get in my car, drive to Three Bears, I pick up my stuff, do whatever. Um, why is it so important to you and the folks you represent? Yeah, it's infrastructure, John. I mean, that's it. It's infrastructure. It's it's surface transportation, right? And and we need a lot of modes of that. Um, you know, uh, the rail belt of Alaska has a railroad. Um, you have highways that connect down to the lower 48 grid. Um, just about all your freight comes on a barge, right? Just like ours. Uh, it almost all comes by water. Your fresh produce, by and large, it all comes by air, just like ours. Right. So, but you need all those pieces. And when you go to Three Bears, I guess I don't, I don't know your route. I haven't, I haven't checked your house, John. I'm not trying to be creepy, but I got a nickel in my pocket. And, and Thomas Jefferson on that nickel is saying to me that John drives on a state owned and maintained and plowed highway. Right. Yep. Yep. And we don't charge a toll. Right. So to get from one community to another in Southeast Alaska, where we're on islands mostly, or there's big old glaciers and fjords that, that separate us, the surface transportation for a truck or for a family or for a small school bus full of, you know, the, the basketball team, um, that's got to get on a ferry um, and, and go somewhere. That's it. Now, we do pay a fare. We do pay a toll. Um, we cover, depending on the year, anywhere from 30 to 45% of what it costs. Um, your tolls would be pretty significant up in the rail belt if you had to do that every time you drove. Um, and, and you don't drive to, you know, most folks don't drive to work or the grocery store without touching a state maintained road. Um, we, we pay gas tax too, right? So when you put all those things together, it's a piece of the infrastructure. And, and what, you, what you really find, John, when you dig deep into the numbers, right? And this is what Alaskans hire us to do, legislators, right? Dig deep, 
take your values, the values are what you interview us on when we campaign, and then go do the homework for me, right? That's representative, rep a representative republic form of government. So when you dig really deep and you look, and 70 miles a road is gonna cost three quarters of a billion, a billion dollars to build, you go, whoa, <laughs> whoa. If, if you do that, we're not paving an inch in South Central Alaska. Every nickel of the federal money is going to one project for years. That ain't gonna work. So, so maybe run a boat. How, how about we run a boat? <laughs> Yeah, um, and, and, and it would be 50 years to permit the thing, probably, if not more. So, well, I mean, you and I are thinking of one road, right, that would connect Juno yeah. North, but but now now do Sitka, now do Petersburg, now do Ketchikan. So, Senator, if you could flick a switch and uh, could could drum up a ferry solution that would be, you you know, in your mind, the best solution, what would that look like if you could oh, oh, kind of have... You know anything you wanted? What would that solution look like? But the first thing we do, and I, I have worked by the way with Rob Myers, who is one of the most conservative members of the Senate, and and a long haul trucker by trade and by training. Right, that's what the man does to feed his family. Uh, I've worked with Rob Myers on a bill that would change how we manage the ferry system because it's in the executive branch of state government, and our Alaska Constitution says that's the governor's thing. And every time we elect a new governor. The ferry system leadership tax to the new politics. And we're making multi-hundred million dollar infrastructure decisions. These boats are not cheap, right? They just make more economic sense than, than billion dollar roads usually. Um, and not in every case, right? I don't mean to be doctrinaire. You, you need a long-term vision and a long-term plan to make those decisions. We had a problem a few years back. We spent $120 million on boats that, that didn't connect to the docks we had. And we didn't change the docks. I mean, that's dumb, right? Yeah. I support the ferry system. I do not support dumb. So we, 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 I think we would take a whole lot of politics out of the management of that ferry system. And we'd have maritime professionals freed up to run it and, and make really long-term decisions. Then we'd get a lot more efficient in how we run the boats. And I got to tell you, I have captains and crew members and engineers and every group on those boats come into my office saying, they won't let us do it better. <laughs> And they won't let us do it smarter. And, and we have problems, right? One of the issues with bureaucracy um, is that DOT runs the ferry system and Department of Administration negotiates the contracts. And right now, the last round of contracts, and this is not unique to the Dunleavy administration, there's a carryover in the Dunleavy administration, they should have done better and they haven't fixed it, just like nobody before them has fixed it. Nobody at DOT is at the bargaining table with the ferry unions with DOA. That's dumb. I support the ferries, but let's not do dumb. So we, we've got things we can do to really make them more efficient, right? Because we need them. I support them. That doesn't mean blank check. I like that. I I um I tend to think uh, you know I like the model of the what the Alaska Mental Health Trust has done, and they've become self sufficient. And if there's any way that the ferry system would be able to do that, I think that would be an exciting day for Alaska. So. Um, my next question to you, this uh, Senator, is this, what's your vision for Alaska? I know that, you know, we often on this show, we talk to um, a lot of conservative Republicans. And I think, you know, part of, the, part of the reason why I asked you on the show is I think it's good to just hear other people's perspectives. Just listening to you and having you on the show doesn't mean that Must Read Alaska agrees with what you're saying, but it means that we uh, we value that you have your own opinion. So what is your vision for Alaska? I think that 
people will find that you care about Alaska, just like somebody else might care about Alaska. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said, born, born and raised here, two kids, I, I want them to come home uh, and, and work and have opportunities here. Um, so, so my vision for Alaska is that we, we build a, a, a bright economic future on a stable base, right? And I think that, that it's not going to be government's job to decide what that future looks like. Government's job is just to help stabilize the base and make sure we have the things that people need to go out and live good lives, you know, in, and, and build their businesses and, and raise their families and do the things that, that we all wanna do as Americans, right? And so that means sound infrastructure, means good public safety, means strong public schools, right? The things that we all rely on so we can go do our thing and make happiness and make prosperity and make all the things that, that families do and Americans do. So what does that take next? Well, I mean, it takes getting the state of Alaska off the oil price roller coaster. Cause I, I've been in this state, there's a, there's a picture my parents tell me in Alaska magazine from 1977 of the oils in party at Valdez, right? And, and somewhere there is this scrawny dude with a goatee and, and this uh, really short, pretty lady, and they have um, a little toe-headed girl, uh, you know, about two years old uh, by the hand, and this fat baby in a diaper. And that's me at the Oils <laughs> Inn party in Valdez. Oil paid all the bills from just before that until just a few years ago. But every oil province ever explored has had the same basic production curve, right? Rapid ramp up, peak production, steep decline, long tail. And we're moderating that long tail, but we're in it, right? We're not coming back here with all respect to former Governor Parnell anytime anybody sees in the, in the near future um, or in the, in the possible future. Oil's gonna be a part of Alaska's economic future. Right. Nobody uh, serious is talking about shutting that thing. You always find somebody crazy, right? You can find a, a, somebody with an extreme message on the left or the right. Nobody serious is talking about shutting that down. But it's not paying all our bills anymore, unless we tax it to the point where the companies close up shop and go home and then stop paying all our bills anymore. So we're going to need to diversify state government's revenue. A piece of that, John, not all of that, a piece of that means tying the revenue state has to a healthy, growing economy. Because right now, and this is upside down and backwards, I want to be real clear about that up front, economic growth that's not an oil well is bad for the state budget. That's crazy. That runs the incentives exactly backwards. But, but economic growth and population growth comes with costs to state government, kids to educate, somebody gets divorced, goes to court, all the things you need a government to do, and no money, no revenue. So it would actually be weirdly in the state's financial interest to shrink the economy as long as we kept, oh, that's dumb. That's dumb. We, we don't want that. We want to get the incentives straight so that state government is invested in a healthy growing economy. Now, that doesn't mean massive taxation, you know, get all the money out of everybody you possibly can. But some connection fixes those perverse upside down incentives so that state government's job no matter which way you look at it, is to work for people and their economic interests so that you have prosperity for people to go raise their families, start their businesses. Getting off the roller coaster, letting government, or letting uh, businesses and, and entrepreneurs and families plan and know there's going to be a decent school for the kids and all of that, that's going to be a huge help to just unleashing Alaska's future potential. 
So talk to me a little bit about uh, uh, SB 79. I believe I'm getting that right. I think um, yeah. from my take is you saw maybe a loophole that disabled veterans were kind of kind of getting the short end of the stick on it, something in particular. So talk to us about how you fix that and what this what this uh, bill entails. Yeah, yeah. So Senate Bill 79, a constituent brought this to me. Um, and I, we looked and looked, we can't quite find how we got here, but here's where we are. When an Alaskan turns 60 years old, you qualify for a lifetime hunting, fishing, trapping license. That's a permanent card, right? You don't have to buy your license every year. Um, you know, my, my folks have one, uh, or at least my dad has one. Um, lots of Alaskans have this. Um, and, and for disabled veterans, we provide a permanent card too, but it's hunting and fishing only. It doesn't allow for trapping. And, and I'm not sure how we got there. Now, of course, we, we have images in our mind of folks with, with disabilities who couldn't possibly run a trap line, but that's not all our disabled veterans. And we shouldn't fall into any, pardon me, any traps, uh, thinking the wrong way about that. There are folks with service-related disabilities who certainly can and do today run trap lines, part of Alaska's proud trapping tradition. So Senate Bill 79 would make them match. It would match them up so that um, you get that permanent card hunt fish trap, um, whether you're a senior citizen or whether you're uh, a disabled veteran. Um, you know, I, I'm surprised that that bill wasn't a total slam dunk. And I think a part of it uh, simply was that we have a lot of legislators on the right who are opposed to free stuff. They think government provides plenty of benefits to people already, and they don't want more free stuff. I, you know, I, I get the notion philosophically, um, user pay, user benefit. Um, certainly, I pay for my hunting and fishing licenses every single year. I'm not a trapper myself. Um, God knows I put in enough money in the tag draws uh, with my donation every year. I think <laughs> I've drawn twice in my life. Anyway, um, <laughs> the... Um, so but did it pass or is it still? It has not uh, passed yet. It has okay. not passed yet. I'll be reintroducing the bill um, because I think that uh, what we, what we, the way we respect our, our veterans um, is, is important. Um, and, and there are lots of interests out there, right? And anytime you, I like it, it's a vital um, thing to recognize. And anytime I don't like it, it's a special interest. But I think there's broad agreement um, that our veterans uh, have earned that recognition um, and that the two types of permanent license should match. Um, so I'm going to work on that. I'm going to push that again. I think we can get that passed. So we, you know, we live in a polarized world, uh, unfortunately. And you know, for some of us that live in Alaska, I think it's the beauty of living in a small town in Alaska is we can kind of get away from the mainstream media, the you know, the the whether it's Fox News or CNN or whatever it is. And we can kind of sneak into our little towns in Alaska and forget about it all. But you are in the thick of it no matter what, because you're a senator and you are probably experiencing the polarization of uh, this every day, every week throughout the year. So my question to you this is this, Senator, and I've heard, uh, I've heard yes or no's on this. And I've heard both sides of the stories of, yes, I think this is good. No, I think this is not good. But do you think it's important for Democrats and Republicans to work together in the Senate and in the House is the first kind of a two-parter. And then um, do you think having differences is a good thing? Do you think that helps make us better in the long run? 
both, 100% both. I mean, 100% both, right? So, so part of the art of, of, of doing this job um, is, is bringing in your values, bringing in your strong beliefs, and working with other people on theirs too. So um, I work really well with Rob Myers on that ferry bill. Um, and we worked uh, really well together on a bill I think the governor's gonna sign here pretty quick that's gonna just about end child marriage in Alaska, right? A good bill, right? Rob and I. There's stuff where Rob and I see eye to eye, man, we're looking at, the, I'm not even looking, we're, the backs of our heads are together, we're pointing other directions, right? And we just, we sit next to each other on the floor and we can laugh and we can joke and we can also squabble pretty aggressive, assertively, assertively, <laughs> right? And steel sharpened steel here, right? So, so, you know, where we can find a way to do better, we need to do that. And, and where our two philosophies <laughs> excuse me, just, just are, are at loggerheads. We need to argue that out and work with our colleagues to find a way to get to the votes, to get to some solution if there's a problem out there. Um, we, and, and, and you can apply that through just about every colleague I've got, right? And well, hell, uh, excuse me, Peter Machicki, I think is, if he's not your senator, he's right next door, Keenan Peninsula. Yeah, he's my senator. He had a giant bill, took him eight, nine years to pass, rewriting our alcohol laws, did all kinds of good stuff. And he and I worked together on probably eight, nine changes to that bill. Good changes, because they came from me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just making sure you're still paying attention. Um, <laughs> but there were other things in that bill I don't like. There were other things in that bill I could not agree on. There were other things in that bill that I just thought kept, and, and in one case worsened an over-regulation situation where, where we have rules that don't advance life, health, and safety, the things that regulation exists for. I think I was the only no vote in the Senate. 120 some page bill, right? All kinds of good stuff, collaboration. The bill passed. I couldn't vote for it because on that point of principle, I couldn't get there. There's other stuff Peter's had. Uh, he had a cabin bill that I didn't love, but he, he did a good job and, and, and it, it, it's not harmful, harmful. I, I let it slide, right? It they went together with something else and, and it passed and I voted yes on the whole package. Um, we gotta do both. So how does principles so strong you can't compromise? So how does somebody you know let's say somebody's listening there, um, I kind of always give the example they're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad or you know maybe they both have two jobs and they just don't have a ton of time to get involved politically. How does that person um, make a assertive effort to make the most amount of impact? Do phone calls work? Do emails work? Does uh, you know, yeah. Does getting yeah, yeah. pat does getting passionate work? You know, how does somebody? I think a lot of folks, if if people you know have been paying attention to politics those last four years, the easiest thing to do is just for me to scream at you. I mean, that's what people think is the easiest thing. But what what's the most effective way for somebody to get involved? I, I will tell you, screaming tends not to work as well. Might <laughs> <laughs> make me feel better when I scream. Doesn't make anybody else want to do what I want. Um, you know, the, one of the things about Alaska, right? Our state's a small town, John. Our state's a small town. And so 
you know, I, we just did the, the census and the redistricting and, and I think uh, a perfect Senate district by population is what a 36,700 and something, right? My colleagues in the California State Senate, I'm pretty sure they got a million constituents apiece. I take phone calls. They don't. How could they? Right? I, I, I talk to people in the grocery store. They don't. I mean, what, 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 there, isn't the, there are the hours in the day. In Alaska, if your legislator won't talk to you, 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 you have an issue. <laughs> Right, uh, and I take phone calls from people who who agree with me and who don't, and that's the job. That's what it should be, right? And and we should have real discussions about these things. Now is is the moment, right? When fifty nine out of sixty legislators across the state are running for office, our ears are particularly keenly tuned to learn from our constituents about issues, about specific things, and about general values. What what you care about, what matters, what's making a difference in your life. It's a representative republic form of government, but it's a participatory representative republic. So the most important thing, right, is, is the structure and then comes the representation, right? That's the values of the person you send to do work for you. This is an interview process. You're hiring this person. So call them. If they don't call you back, how bad did they want the job? Um, and then the other part is, is the participation. Right, so when issues come through and it matters to you, you have an opinion on it, weigh in. We should be paying attention, and I can tell you, right? Sometimes I think, nah, I don't like this idea. This is, yeah, this doesn't make sense to me. And my phone starts ringing, and my email starts pinging from my constituents, and I go, huh, that one needs a second look. People care about that, right? That's the job. Does it mean I'm going to compromise on the deepest issues of principle? in my life, the things that, you know, are matters of, of absolute, you know, faith or, or deepest belief. No, and the voters might have to replace me if I just don't match up with enough of them on those issues. That's okay. Um, most voters will understand the difference between, hmm, the amendment seven to the budget in year, you know, 2021, eh, he voted wrong, but by and large, he's got the good values. The, the deepest issues of principle, we, we need to match our districts. So Senator, how does somebody, let's say somebody lives in your area, which I believe it covers everything from Skag Skagway to Juneau to Wrangell, I believe. And they have a question, not quite that far. Not quite that far. And they, you know, they got an issue with a road or, you know, ferry question or something that has to do with your district. How do they get a hold of your office? What's a good number? What's a good, you know, are you, what's the website? Tell us yeah. how they get a hold, you know, how does somebody get a hold of you? I probably should have started in the intro by telling you the district. I, I have, this is going to be probably reversed for the camera, but uh, I have the entirety of the city and borough of Juneau. And if you put your elbow on the bottom of the, the new Petersburg Juneau boundary line, and your fingertips on Glacier Bay, uh, and you do this, you get Gustavus, there's six people at Excursion okay. Inlet. You get Haynes and Cluckwan, Skagway, and then after that, you're in Canada. I don't worry about those people. Um, but if you're, if you're part of those 35, 36,000 people, um, my office is 907-465-4947. If you want to talk about campaigns, you got to call a campaign. That's 907-209-7910. Um, 
the office can give you that number. Just just don't you know expect to have a campaign conversation with my state employee staff. Um, they, they they will direct you to the campaign. Um, and then the email, um, we all follow the same formula. So uh, sen for senator, sen dot j e s s e is Jesse dot k i e h l at a k l e g for Alaska Legislature dot gov. So sen dot j e s s e dot k i e h l at a k l e g dot gov. Nice. Well, Senator, I appreciate you coming on the Must Read Alaska show. Uh, you're welcome back anytime. And uh, for folks just tuning in, we have Senator Jesse Keel, who is in Juneau and represents various other small communities around the Juneau area. And I want to encourage you all to listen to the last uh, 30 minutes. If you're just tuning in, it's well worth it. And uh, thank you, everybody, for just watching, reading, listening, Must Read Alaska in general. Uh, if you like the Must Read Alaska show, make sure to give us a review. And always remember, we have the Must Read Alaska app on you, the uh, Android store or the i tune store just put in must read alaska and the app's free uh this later this afternoon i'll have another guest surprise guest around 3 30 so you you won't want to miss out on that and uh senator thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate it and until next time i'm john quick from somewhere alaska thanks so much thanks john <laughs>